0: Welcome to the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. My name is Nina Sunday. I'm your host, and I'm so excited to speak with our industrial philosopher, Christina Giacomo, who combines 20 years of management experience in large corporations and 10 years of practice in philosophy and with a master's in uh, of science degree in organizational change management. She teaches leaders and their teams philosophy so they can be wiser at work. Author of the book Wise Up at Work, welcome, Christina.
1: Hi, Nina, and <laughs> hello, everyone out there.
0: I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm so excited. When I, when I met you over Zoom, I just went, I can't wait to have you on the program because I have to share with you, when I was 25, I made the conscious decision that I wanted to seek wisdom in life. And... It became a no-brainer when I was writing my book on soft skills that I called it Workplace Wisdom. <laughs> so for me, uh, I'm very happy to talk to someone that, that poses that <laughs> wisdom is something that managers and their teams can aspire to. Is that is that how you view it? Absolutely. Tell us about the award that you won for, for being an industrial philosopher. Oh, uh, sure. So the...
1: Uh, International Association of Top Professionals uh, is a group that um, is it's a membership group, but you have to be invited to it. And I wasn't a member and I was I was contacted by them. And they they thought that what I did was very, very interesting. And they you know, they said, we'd like to actually give you an award for being an industrial philosopher and give you this Industrial Philosopher of the Year Award. And it's very prestigious. So I I just, it felt really great to be honored by them, especially since I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a member or anything like that. Um, And what I really appreciate about what they're doing And and with this award is it's really recognizing that philosophy is starting to have a has a place. And I think there's a renaissance going on right now with philosophy and people are beginning to come back to it. You know, I believe that wisdom is actually the ultimate skill. If you think about all the things that we either want to be or want our employees to be, adaptable, resilient, collaborative, creative, innovative, good listeners, high EQ, I think we're at, you know, somewhere along the lines of 20 to 25 different soft skills that are that can be evaluated and if you've ever met a wise person they are all
0: those things on Maslow's scale hierarchy there they've reached self-actualization and probably beyond transcended that
1: exactly and and so for me it's why don't we focus on learning how to be wise, let's just ladder up to that. Because when you do that, everything else that you would desire in yourself as a leader or as a manager and desire for your teams to embody will naturally sort of come out of that.
0: Well, of course, if you think about uh, the wisdom of Solomon, You know, having to uh, judge between two mothers who are fighting over the custody of a child—that requires—that requires requires incredible integrity when to bring to decision making. In fact, one of our earlier podcasts is Stu Brody and the integrity, uh, the power of integrity, because it takes a wise person to understand what is the highest position to take in any dilemma or situation. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, When you, and, and there's a whole process to this, but if you think about also Aristotle's virtues, you know, magnanimity, generosity, wit, friendliness, all of those things, you know, are all tied to being a wise person and what it means to be wise In any given situation, is to be able to pull all of these things together and be able to judge a situation appropriately and have the correct way of thinking about it, being able to know when you need to react, but also know that reacting may not be the solution, and also knowing how to act. So, you know, being wise isn't just about thinking. It's also this process of what is the right thing to do? How do I do that? What's the best for everyone involved? And pulling in all these other aspects. And it's a practice. You you have to, first of all, desire to want to be this way, but use it and apply it in your day-to-day situations so that it
0: becomes automatic. So does that suggest a manager could be reading some classical philosophical works? And if so, which authors?
1: I highly recommend yes. (laughs) So yes, I always encourage people to read the original texts. And the reason for that is there's something that happens in the mind when you're reading these words from their original intention. There's a power to them. There's uh, something that is challenging for your comprehension. It really kind of stirs things up. You know, there's there's a difference between hearing Emerson say, insist on yourself, never imitate, versus someone saying to you, just be authentic.
0: Yeah, there's the Mm -hmm. modern translation and then there's the original, uh, you know, classical expression of these ideas and they kind of reach a different part of the brain. You know, we've got these little back areas of the brain because I know sometimes I'll be reading a book and I'll go, oh, it's it's, it's like a feather duster to a part of my brain that I forgot I had. (laughs) Yes, Nina, what an unbelievable way to put
1: it. And, and what happens is there's all these other things, amazing things that get triggered, your creativity, your the, the language, there's just something about it. And so I encourage managers or people to start with uh, the Enchiridion from Epictetus.
0: Okay, well, I even haven't heard of that. I'm, I'm uh, ashamed to say, um, but we'll put it in the show notes. Do you know who Epictetus is? Well, I studied ancient history, but I don't. I know Cicero and Marcus Aurelius and all people like that. So please elaborate. Oh
1: Yes, so I love Epictetus. He is from the Stoic school, and what I love about him is he has a a backstory. He was a, he was a slave. And so he started life out being someone's property. And uh, also his master uh, broke his leg. And so he was also lame. And eventually what happened was he began to start to try and learn philosophy and became a a student and his master was so, uh, heartened by his passion for wanting to learn these things that his master ended up putting him in philosophy school and helping him get educated and then eventually freed him. And why I like Epictetus is he's so incredibly accessible and the Enchiridion and I'll give you the spelling of that for the notes uh, is really the best of his passages. He was the one who said, it's not what happens to us that affects us, but what we think about what happens to us.
0: And That's that is such a common uh, saying that people say, and now we're actually attributing it to the original author who yes. deserves to be uh, have that attribution. Excellent. Yes. I like
1: well, that. There's another one that he had. If you had any sort of elementary school teacher kind of, you know, I know I got this, but he also said we have uh, two ears and one mouth. <laughs> two ears to listen and one mouth to, you know, that expression for, and and so he was the one who said that. So thank you.
0: That's very accessible and he (laughs) deserves to be better known. Thank you for (laughs) pointing that out. Excellent. (laughs) And and who else? Who who else would help uh, managers be better leaders? Like is it Aristotle or is it another author? Is it Socrates, the art of asking questions?
1: So I am a huge fan of Socrates. He is my stage dad. Just saying, I'm. He's. I. I lean on Socrates a lot uh, when I'm actually working with clients because I use the the dialectic, the Socratic method, in working with clients, and also teach it. So, but I think if there's someone who wants to kind of step into this on their own. I also recommend James Allen's As a Man Thinketh.
0: Oh, yes, I've got that.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, to me, James Allen is like the Stephen Covey of philosophers.
0: Very, uh, well, very... yes, now we're sort of, are we sort of getting into the Napoleon Hill uh, era, like the uh, early 20th century? Is, is that where he comes that's, from? That's fair.
1: I'm just looking at, the, the, what I look, what I consider good gateway literature for, for managers. So, but in terms of more ancient ideas, Plato's laws uh, are, is really his sort of prototype of what makes a good society. I extrapolate from Plato's laws uh, and teach on how his ideas make a great organization and what he had uh, offered in terms of what is a good ruler for a society are also really incredible ideas for leadership and managers to embody.
0: Well, let's unpack that a little bit, uh, Christina. Tell us a little bit more about, Uh, Plato's ideas that uh, help a manager be better with leading teams, that'd be great.
1: Absolutely. So one of the things that Plato talked about is certain roles and responsibilities of, of the leader or the ruler. One of those responsibilities is to be that of the educator. So the The idea is, as a ruler, your responsibility is to make sure that everyone understands what's going on, not only with what you are putting down as a a policy or a rule, you explain yourself and you enable them to and empower them to understand the laws that they are that they are ruled by. So now if you look at this from a manager's perspective, a lot of times managers come out with okay, we have to do this, we have to do that, you need to do this, we're going to reorg, we're going to do this, moving things around, and typically they don't really explain or spend time explaining the rationale behind that change, Uh, or even if it's, uh, even if it's something individual, where they're giving individual feedback, it's, well, you did this, you did that, and they don't really spend the time to educate on, you know, their rationale for that feedback, or perhaps even engage in a dialogue, this is where Socrates can come in, a dialogue as to, what may have been the underlying cause needed for that feedback or that conversation.
0: So go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say um, because is one of the most powerful words in the English language. And to give an instruction without a reason almost opens yourself up to resistance and people muttering under their breath and, and doing it without full commitment. So if you really want ownership, you give people a reason but even bigger than that as a as a change practitioner which i am um you need to ask people questions and get their suggestions because what if they actually have a really valid point they're at the coalface you know they're not dumb you've hired them for a reason you've, you've hired smart people hopefully well why not get their opinion and when they offer their opinion if it resonates acknowledge that you'll get much more uh, ownership is my understanding so you're saying Plato, uh, he he talks about the need to educate the people that you lead. Is that is that what I'm hearing? That's correct.
1: Which you
0: at the time was totally radical because we're
1: talking about a period of time where rulers were just tyrants mostly. There, and were, there very, were slaves. Yeah, there were very few benevolent benevolent kings or benevolent kings, very benevolent Mostly tyrants. And, wow. you wow. know, also Plato had 10 years being held hostage by a tyrant in Sicily. And so he wrote the laws after he was sort of allowed to leave by this tyrant. And for him, the educator takes the dominance out of the dynamic.
0: Yeah.
1: And makes it a role of the teacher, of the engager, the, the role where it feels slightly more on an equal playing field.
0: Well, an earlier uh, episode with uh, Jeffrey Hazlett, he was talking about the role of a leader is to bring out the capability of the people they lead. Well, you can't bring out their capability unless you're educating them, unless you're inviting them. Uh, to express their opinion, so uh, and also for you to rise up in the organisation, you have to train the people behind you to take your place. You know, you assume that you are actually going to be promoted to a to another role, a higher, better, better value role. So you've got to educate your people, or um, they they won't let you go because they go. Well, we've renewed we've that person in that place, so we'll just keep that person there. <laughs> So it's yeah. a it's you're shooting yourself in the foot if you're not bringing out the capability of the people behind you. So um, very interesting what Plato has to say. And
1: um, and one more thing, this keep has going. implications. This has implications in other ways too. Uh, you know, Plato believed in transparency. He believed, you know, he believed that the ruled could question the ruler, or the law giver. And actually, the ruler had to ha- had to answer those questions. So think about this idea of the educator when it comes to organizational transparency. You know, and, and when it comes to, you know, a CEO, having to address in a town hall, like the, the level of presence, or the sort of you know, persona that comes with being the educator. So there's so many different facets to this and, and nuances that um, I feel like it could really, it could really branch out just even
0: with this one thing. And Plato was Greek, correct? Correct. Along with Aristotle and so- uh, Socrates. Correct. Um, well, here's the thing. Greece was the home of democracy and one of the, Tenets of democracy is is tra- public transparency, and that leaders do have to be benevolent and also listen to their people. So it seems to me that there could be a lot to be learned by reading the classic Greek philosophers. Yeah. So, uh, how what is the dynamic of how teams work? What what's your understanding of that?
1: So. I was I was thinking about this, you know, also from the perspective of the fact that I've been on teams and and what that felt like and and looking at it from more of an insider point of view. And the the it's kind of a large question, but I can tell you, yeah, I mean How long is a piece of string? (laughs) Right. Like what's the dynamic of a good team versus what's the dynamic of a bad team? What's the dynamic of a small team versus a large team? So, you know, the the one thing that I will say that I think a lot of managers miss is, and this comes from uh, Vedic philosophy, Indian philosophy, which the, the idea is the group Is the most important unit.
0: Well, absolutely. If you read Buckminster Fuller, who was uh, a philosopher from last century, he he actually coined the term synergy, which is Mm -hmm. a combination of synthesis and uh, energy, and he said the 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 sum of the whole is greater than its parts. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, when you put a group together, they come up with more elegant solutions than individuals working alone. So, you know, we can see in different centuries different philosophers um, there to guide the human spirit, the human imagination. So if you're not reading them, you're missing out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I love about the group is the most important unit Mm. is
1: because it actually creates um something cohesive and unified from you know different elements or different people and so when you look at the group as a whole and make decisions knowing or understanding that the most important thing is the group whether it's the health of the group the collaboration of the group the functioning of the group uh, and and so many other things that enable teams to be able to be effective and innovative. A lot of times, there's a focus on ind- on thinking that the the individual people are the different units that are the most important. Right. And a lot of times, and I think that's what managers miss because they, I mean, and the reality is to always, you know, they're they're stuck dealing with the squeaky wheel, or they're the, the person who's not pulling their weight, or the person who, you know, and, and so that's where the unit or the group can get fragmented. So I'm, I'm suggesting that a manager always thinks that the group is the most important unit, and even bringing in utilitarianism, which is making decisions that benefit the whole group versus just one individual.
0: And what I'm hearing is there's this game whack-a-mole, right? You focus on one thing and something else pops up. It seems to me that maybe if you have got a a toxic person or an unproductive person, you can delegate to a coach to deal with them because you really need to be focused on the people that are doing their job, doing a good job, because if you don't focus on them equally, it's a bit like having two children uh, you have the prob- the parent spends time with the problematic child, and they forget the good child, and the good child can easily go off track because they're starting to feel resentful that they're not getting enough attention. So everybody needs equal attention. We have to be good parents as managers, really. Uh, fascinating uh, areas that we're going into now. I know in your book Wise Up at Work, you share stories how wisdom is used to motivate. People in the and in the workplace, and to elevate the workplace. Have you got a, sh- a story you can share?
1: So uh, I think one of my one of my favorite uh, experiences was with uh, someone who was a chief strategy officer who, who worked with me, and and we did some uh, practices around perception and truth and reality. And he had an employee that he had to have a challenging conversation. She was very she was very challenging for him. Uh, and uh, they they didn't always there was tension and friction, nothing terrible, but he just felt like it, it she was always kind of uh, difficult. And he had to have a conversation with her. I believe it was actually her performance review. And he was getting, he was a bit nervous about it. He was a bit like, I have to give her this kind of feedback or I have to have this conversation with her. And and she's always quite challenging. And I'm, you know, concerned about that. So I thought about um, a practice related to truth. And I said to her, I said to him, see her as if for the first time. And I said, forget about everything that's happened in the past and any narrative or story that you have about her or what she's done or what she's said or anything. And just meet the moment and meet her and see it as if for the very first time, as if none, none of this has happened. See what's in front of you. And he did. And one of the things he realized was how much he assumed and expected her to act a certain way every single time. Cause he came back to me. He's like, when you said that to me, I realized I am always like, oh, she's going to act this way or she's going to, I know she's going to react like this, or I know she's going to say something like this. I know her. And he's like, and when I practiced that, I realized I could walk into this situation with completely fresh perspective, fresh eyes, and pretend that I'm, I'm meeting her for the first time. So that's how he conducted the conversation. Oh, that is so profound. And he said it was one of the most productive and uh, positive and uh n- not at all like their previous conversations in the past he he felt a completely different dynamic and energy when he brought that mindset into
0: that conversation with his employee it seems so, to me that's a filter we could use in life with our spouse with our children with our friends it's absolutely profound. I love that. I love that um, reframing that you uh, suggested. And of course, your work is leading us down that path, because uh, just that conversation with you today is uh, inspiring me to pick up and read some of these philosophers again, which I have in the course of my life, because in previous conversations, we've talked about the value of uh, reading Emerson. Emerson, another one,
1: he just sets my Mind on fire as he says. Oh, he's amazing. And highly course- recommend if there's any if someone who has not read Emerson, highly recommend self-reliance.
0: Just self-reliance, well. yeah. That's, That's the well. one. Yeah. That's the one. In fact, I've just downloaded it uh as an audio book so I can Read it, uh, listen to it while I'm doing chores around the house. That's the beautiful thing about audiobooks. If you're doing physical stuff that uh, doesn't require, uh, you know, typing or being at your desk, um, yeah, you can still be listening. So and that's the value of a podcast as well, too. You can still be listening. I think we've, you've edified me. You've edified, I hope you're edifying my audience as well, my listeners. So it's, uh, I'm sad to say, it's pretty well the end of our time talking today, but but <laughs> I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, talking with you, and um, I really appreciate you making the time, Christina. We've been speaking with Christina de Giacomo, uh, an industrial philosopher, uh, author of Wise Up at Work. Uh, this is the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. Uh, get it where, listen to it wherever your favorite podcasts or you can access, and Remember to subscribe, give us a rating and a comment, and we'll see you next time. Ciao for now.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.